Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Don't give to get. It's that simple. And yet it's that difficult. Don't give in a relationship or a friendship or a marriage in order to get. And yet isn't that the common ideal in this world? You know, if you're into a 50-50 marriage, you might as well go down to the lawyer's office and drop your your divorce decree right now because it isn't going to work. Giving is so much more about our attitude than the amount. In fact, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 that says, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us that giving extends to more than just money, and our generosity should always be a response to God's grace, rather than what we can get in return. Pastor Mike has titled today's message, The Unique Love of People Who Know God's Grace. Well, let's dive in. So the king had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Michar of Amel. And when Mephibosheth, that's his name, poor guy, right? When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, you can see the awkward scene. He bows down in his awkward way to pay David homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you, here's our word, hesed, kindness, For the sake of your father, Jonathan, not for your sake and not for what you can give me back. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And if you don't think Mephibosheth got the idea here, look at verse number eight. He's recognizing that this will be a completely unfair relationship because maybe if he had healthy legs, he could be a servant. He could be a gopher. He could be a messenger. He could be a a soldier in David's army. He could in some way pay David back. But he says in verse eight, what is your servant that you should notice a a dead dog like me? What's he saying? He's saying, I can't do anything for you. I can't reciprocate anything back. Are you sure you want to do this? How can I do anything for you? And of course, David is not swayed by that because David is loving God's way, this unique characteristic of divine love. The kind of thing that ought to characterize our relationship is a giving that doesn't expect anything back. I put it this way if you're taking notes, and it becomes the imperative for our lives. Don't give to get. It's that simple, and yet it's that difficult. Don't give in a relationship or a friendship or a marriage in order to get. And yet, isn't that the common ideal in this world? I mean, don't the marital counselors tell people in marital trial, you know, you got to get this relationship to a 50-50 place. You give and then you give back. But of course, everyone goes away from that thinking, well, I'm putting more into this than I'm getting. You know, if you're into a 50-50 marriage, you might as well go down to the lawyer's office and drop your your divorce decree right now because it isn't going to work. That does not work. That's why all the 30,000 people this weekend that stand before altars saying they're madly in love, loving each other. In our country, we have the highest divorce rate in the world. And in the state of California, almost 60% of the couples that say, I do, end up saying, I don't love you anymore. Can I get out of this, please? Thank you very much. That's our culture because our culture says, I give, and when I give, even if I initiate sacrificially, you know what? I have some expectations. 
Because if I'm going to do that for you, what in the world are you doing for me? Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that the normal love of the world? You bet it is. And that's why Jesus said, I got a whole different way for you to relate to one another, and it will radically make you different. You will be weird. And the world's going to look at you and say, I don't know anything about that kind of love. The first aspect is my motivation comes from God, not the object. My second unique aspect of this kind of love is that I give with no expectation to return. I give 100% and I have zero expectation to get back. That will transform your life. Keep your finger here. One more New Testament passage. Luke chapter 6. You got to go here because no one crystallizes this truth better than Jesus Christ himself when he says to us in this wonderful sermon, this is how it works with them and here's how it ought to work with you. And it's all about love. Look at it with me in Luke chapter 6. Notice how he captures the essence of 2 Samuel 9 in this wonderful, short, terse statement about relationships. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Luke 6, 32, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Translation, whoopee, right? What a big deal. He says, even sinners love those who love them, right? Reality check. Isn't that how it works out there? You love me, you give to me, whether it's tangible or intangible, whether it's stuff I feel when I'm with you or whatever it is, if I like your jokes or I think you're funny or you make me feel good, I get from you so I give back. That's how the world works. And Jesus says, big deal, whoopee, who cares? Everyone can do that. He says in verse 33, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Then he moves to the next level. Perhaps someone is really magnanimous in our culture. Maybe someone in their marriage is even so gracious that they're willing to put out. They're willing to give, not as a response, but they're just willing to give. And he uses a monetary metaphor. And he says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, not that it doesn't include that, but if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, keyword, expecting to be repaid in full. I mean, it is magnanimous, is it not, to give money to someone who needs it. But then you're going to carefully notate how much it was, right? Was there, you know, was that an even, how much was that? Because I want back from that. And the Bible says if you give, whether it's monetarily or in a relationship, and you give and you expect back, again, you get the big proverbial Jesus, whoopee, because it's no big deal. Even sinners do that. You want the real kind of biblical, unique Weird love, look at it, verse 35. But love your enemies. Now, who does less for me than my enemies, right? (laughs) I mean, those people are not a blessing to my life. They don't give me anything good. But if you love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them, here's the key phrase, without expecting to get anything back. Wow, can you imagine that? Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. What does that mean? You'll be a chip off the old block. You'll be just like our Heavenly Father. Why? Because He's kind to ungrateful and wicked men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. What's He saying? Christians in that church down there, lift your relationships up to a whole nother level and make the adhesive in the relationship the thing that I call love, which is much different than what people are pawning off as love in the world. And it's a kind of love that finds God as the motivation and not the object. And it's a kind of love that gives and gives and gives and lowers expectations down to zero. That's radical. 
As long as you're in the New Testament. I said one more, but let's go to one more New Testament reference. Romans chapter 13. You want to put it in some really crystal clear terms. You want to put it in a phrase, in a word that will make it, I hope, just, just seared and tattooed into your brain. This is it. This phrase, I mean, it'll stick because you'll remember this word is a powerful word when it comes to how I'm supposed to treat you. And it needs to be something I never forget. Look at how Paul puts it. Romans chapter 13, verse number 8. Context is giving to people what they owe. I owe taxes. I got to pay it. If I have a debt, I got to keep paying it. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Good practical principle, right? Don't be past due on any of your bills. You got to pay what you owe, right? Don't be delinquent in your payments. Except the continuing debt. What's that mean? Here's a debt I can't pay off. It's continuing. It's always there. It's the eternal, never-ending debt. What is that? To love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. What's that mean? Pay off everything you owe, but there's one you're never going to be pay off, paid off, and that is your debt. Did you catch that word? That's the word. The debt to love one another. Are we indebted to Christ? You bet we are. Can we pay Him back? No way. Would we insult Him to try to merit His favor? You bet we would. But He says, if you owe me something and you feel like you owe me something, I, I tell you what, transfer that debt to people. And these people that surround you, pay them by your kindness and generosity and love and goodness as though you were repaying me. Debt. Hey, think about that. I got to look at you as though I owe you something. What does the world think about that? I don't owe you anything unless I owe you something, right? And I don't owe you anything. See, that's how the world thinks. In the church, how should it work? I look at you and I feel indebted. Before we even start, I got to pay you back, right? I don't even have to wait for you to pick up the tab at lunch today. I'm already indebted and I'm behind. I've got to pay because I'm indebted to you. Now, there's something interesting about what a debt does to our expectations. We all pay debts off, right? If you don't, congratulations. But most of us do, right? And every month, I write my, my mortgage check. You write this big check, right? Biggest check of the month. And there you go. Boom, 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 write it out. Big check. With sorrow, tears in your eyes. You put it in the mailbox and you send it away. And off it goes to your bank. You know, the interesting thing about me paying this mortgage payment every month is that I never get a thank you note back. You know what I mean? <laughs> Secretary of the bank never calls me and says, oh, Mr. Fabar, that was a really big check this month. I just want to say thanks. We can really use this here, you know? They don't say that. They don't send me birthday cards. I don't get, I don't get you know, seized candy at Christmas from my bank. They don't treat me that way because when I pay that big check every month, they say, you owe it. And when you owe something, you pay it. And you know what the interesting thing about them never saying thank you to me is I don't expect them to. Did you catch that? I don't expect them to. I don't expect a birthday card from my bank. I don't expect the lady to call me and say, thanks, that was a really big check. Thanks. We can use that. Why? Because I owe it to them. And if I owe it to them, guess what happens to my expectations? I have none. Why? Because I already have the goods. I got the house. I got the key in my pocket. My car is parked in the garage. I sleep in the bedroom. I'm already there. I got the stuff. When I pay you that money every month, I'm paying you for something I've already gotten the benefit for. Do you see that? And when it comes to my relationship with you, I got the goods at the cross. I got the goods when Christ invaded my life. 
I got the goods when he saved me, and I'm already participating in the benefits. And so paying you if the debt has been transferred in God's mind, and he wants me to look at you as someone I'm indebted to, then when I give to you, when I'm nice to you, when I do something for you, you know what? I don't expect anything back. Do you see how that could transform every relationship in your life? If you could really start to grasp that. And by the way, sidebar for just a moment. If that's supposed to be the thing that characterizes the church of Jesus Christ, then we have got to be good at receiving. And I can tell you a lot of us aren't good at that. We're not good at that. Because when someone gives us a present, say for our birthday, we pull out our pen and say, all right, honey, how much do you think that one was worth? You know, I guess we got to put them on our list for Christmas, don't we? You know, oh, and did they host that last time? Uh, that was a lot of, ha- I guess we better host the next one. Do, do you see how that works? I feel like I got to keep track. They pick up the bill. Oh, I'll, I'll get that next time. Don't forget, honey. Don't let me forget they paid. It, what is that all about? That's good economics for the world. And that's how it works out there. That's not how it's supposed to work in the church. And I can tell you this happens all the time. I was standing in line at the store one day. Happened to get in line at the checkout behind uh, one of our junior high girls in the church. The teenage girls in the youth group. And she's buying school supplies or something like that. And it was like, you know, six bucks worth of notebooks or something. I don't know what it was. I didn't examine it. But there she was. She was checking out. And I said, hi. And she said, hi. How are you, Pastor? I said, good. Okay. So we're standing there, and the lady rings it up, and you know the horror, junior high girl, looking at her money and looking at the register, <gasps> she didn't have all she needs. I mean, it's like 625, and she's got like 580 in her hand or something. I thought, hey, here's my chance, right? Be the hero. Hey, I said, don't worry about that. I, I can take care of that. I- I'll make up the extra there. No big deal. <gasps> oh, thank you, you know? And then... And this momentary feeling of godliness, I said, you know what? It's only six bucks. Let me get it all. Save your five dollars. I said, I'll just, I'll buy your stuff here. And I felt like a hero. Right? I was just like, oh. And she, oh, of course. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. And off she goes with her bag of stuff. A week later, she told her mom, Pastor Mike bought this stuff for us. You know, which was a mistake, I guess. Because mom forced her then too get an envelope together, get all the money, put it in, and come back and give it to me. And so there I was at church. Here's your money back, Pastor Mike. You know what that did to me? Hurt. Why did it hurt? Because it short-changed the whole process that God has in mind in the local church. Because here I was, trying to meet a need, feeling like I blessed somebody, and I had a chance to pay off a little of a debt. Think about it, right? I was doing something, and I was indebted, and so I did it. And what happened? Ooh, pay, pay it back. That didn't feel right. And it didn't feel right because it's not right. Because when we're not good receivers of people's generosity and kindness and hesed love, and we think we got to keep score, then we are not allowing people to function in the body of Christ the way it's supposed to function. Do you see that? And we got to be good at receiving. We don't keep track and we don't keep score. Now, that's pretty dangerous, isn't it, if we really start to do that? I mean, if we really did what David does and we said we're going to give with no expectation to return and this person may not ever be, be able to pay me back, don't the insightful, savvy people among us start to think this is a dangerous way to live? I mean, because I may be loving people that may stab me in the back, right? I may love people and they may take advantage of me. I might become the proverbial doormat in their life. I mean, she might call me up and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I was thinking of some new shoes, you know, uh, I don't know, but there's a sale going on and uh, maybe... Right? I mean, I could be taken advantage of. 
I could love and give. I could be nice and kind. I could give and give and give in my marriage or my friendships or my relationships or my co-workers. And I could get the short end of the deal. Back to our passage in 2 Samuel 9. I want to show you what a real possibility that was in David's transaction here. When David chose to love this guy for someone else's sake with no expectations of payback, you got to see this was a risky deal. Look at it in verse number 9. The king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson, that's Mephibosheth, everything that belonged to his grandfather Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. Wow. I don't know that I like that deal. Ziba could have said that, right? Ziba could have thought, well, I, I, you know, I was pretty comfortable with my current assignment in the kingdom. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. He's got a freestanding invitation. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, so you know this was a major life transaction. He probably had to uproot himself, go to Saul's old land. It was a whole life-upsetting event. And Ziba said, and you can tell because later in the book of 2 Samuel, there was some grudge here, and this was something that would come back to haunt David. But at least at this particular point in the historical narrative, he says, well, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So, fine. If that's what you want, Dave, that's what I'll do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He wasn't, but he ate like one of them. There he was at the table being like uh, part of the royal family. Now that's risky enough, but verse 12 sends it to an astronomical level. Look at it in verse 12. And this means a lot to you if you understand the culture. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. That ain't good because that son of Mephibosheth is the great-grandson of King Saul. And if he re- reads a couple Jewish his- history books, he's going to find out he's got royal blood in his veins because it was his great-grandfather who was the first king. And you know what? I am growing up in the royal palace here, and I do have access to the king's table, and David was setting himself up for a coup, for a takeover, for a usurper to the throne. Can you see that there? Do you think David, the savvy political strategist, knew that? You bet he knew it. He knew it, he knew it, he knew it, he knew it. But the text says it didn't matter. All the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet, couldn't pay him back, and here he was taking from David, and David was doing something that could potentially bring down his kingdom. Ziba could rebel, he might not like this, and later he does. More on that later. And Micah, the great-grandson to Saul, could start to say, I should be king around here. It was my great-grandfather who started this thing. All that could happen. And David could potentially lose in this deal. But he did it anyway. I put it this way, number three on your outline if you're taking notes. You and I, like David, need to boldly accept the risks Because there will always be risks when you love people God's way. There will always be risks when you use God as the motive and not the object. There will always be risks when you give and don't expect anything in return. Because people like that can take advantage of you. And you can turn on your your neat little uh, discerning mindset and say, Well, I I don't love that person because that person, that may all come back to haunt me. Don't go there. Because you won't be Christ-like. Because let me share with you a guy that Jesus loved deeply for three years. 
who stabbed him in the back. What's his name? Do you know the most amazing thing about the passage we read at the very beginning of this message in John chapter 13 is that it comes on the heels, and you Sunday school graduates know this, of Jesus revealing who would betray him. And you know that floored the apostles. What? One of us? And he reveals in that meeting that Judas, one that he had walked with, talked with, gave with, taught, disciple, put his arm around, cried with, said, Judas, what can I do for you today? What can I pray for? How are you doing? All of this love poured into Judas's life, and he ends up saying, it's the one I dip this in the, and, and give him the bread, and that's the guy, and so you need to know. Now, do you think Jesus was savvy and smart enough, not to mention omniscient, that he could have figured out that Judas wasn't a good investment of his love? You bet he could. You bet he could. You know for darn sure that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him from the beginning. And you know what? He loved him anyway. You and I stand back without the benefit of omniscience. And there's a lot of people in our lives that we're afraid to love because perhaps they won't reciprocate. Perhaps they'll hurt us. Perhaps they'll take all the love we give them and throw it back in our face. And our heart will be trampled on because every time we love, our heart is vulnerable and this could hurt me. You know what I have to say about that? Love them anyway. It not only might happen, it will happen. Because you are called to love sinful, wicked, ungrateful people. And your heart, like Christ's, will be hurt. But you, at that moment, will be godly. I like what John Chrysostom said in the 4th century. Chrysostom wrote these words. He preached it and someone transcribed it. But he said, you know what? He said, whether the object is worthy or unworthy, your reward is the same. You see that? The measure is whether or not I love, not whether or not the person reciprocates, not whether or not the person hurts me if I do. God wants us to love and show that kindness based on grace. And when I do, God is pleased. You know, I can share lots of stories, and any pastor on staff who gives his life to ministry can tell you plenty of stories about pouring out his heart, giving and serving and being generous and sacrificing time with, with our, our own children and, our, and our, our spouse and all these things and having the person that we invest all this in throw it back in our face. And most people in this room have experienced that too, but I just need to tell you, welcome to the club because it happens to all of us. But that should not make us gun-shy about loving. The measure is whether or not I love, not whether or not the person reciprocates. God wants us to love. You're listening to Focal Point in a series called Radical Kindness. In today's message, Pastor Mike Fabares reminding us that since we're freely and sacrificially loved by God, we should be compelled to love others freely and sacrificially too. To review the study notes for today's message or to listen to the entire lesson from the beginning, go to focalpointradio.org. Just look for the sermon called The Unique Love of People Who Know God's Grace. We're so glad to have you with us today and every day. Our goal here at Focal Point is to help people understand how God wants them to live and then equip them with a biblical foundation so they can stay strong in the face of the world's corruption. Focal Point airs on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is available worldwide through the Internet and the Focal Point app. The program is freely available because broadcasting and production costs are funded by listeners. 
And if you're among those who support this program, I'd like to say thank you, because your giving enables others to hear the truth and gain biblical understanding as a result. To show our gratitude for your support today, we'd like to send you a book that outlines God's plan of salvation in a clear and concise way. It's a classic resource called All of Grace by the renowned British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The free gift of grace expressed throughout Scripture gives us a warm and thankful heart for God's mercy and love. Salvation, after all, is available to all who seek it. We'll send you a copy of All of Grace as our way of saying thanks for your generosity today. To make a donation, call 888-320-5885. You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Tuesday as we continue our study through 2 Samuel right here on Focal Point. Hey there, Pastor Mike here. We're almost out of time, but before we go, I want to personally invite you to contact us here. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click the contact page or send me a note on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. Can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.